So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, O my people. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. The message there is that one who is called the Son of Man brings these people to life by his words. And we come together this morning as as people who were dry, who were dead, who were in our graves and who've been brought back to life by the Son of Man, by our Lord Jesus Christ. He has made us vital. He has given us flesh and blood and breath and made us live. He has restored our souls from the grave, from where we were in our sins. Let's praise our God together for this amazing, wonderful gift. Good morning, everyone. Last week, Jane and I were at uh, Derby Mill Hill meeting, and it's one of those rare Sundays where we're away to Sundays in, a, in a, a row and it's usually due to mismanagement or mistake or something like that but we had a lovely time at Derby there was a baptism last Sunday and it was a young man called Mike who was um, at Derby University and he's from Zimbabwe so it was a lovely time and it gave me something to think about to talk about today so I, I thought this morning I'd call my talk three things I wish they'd told me on the day I was baptised I like that passage from Thessalonians uh, and all sorts of things go wrong for everybody in that passage there's opposition, there's burdens, there's sufferings but the central thing that the Apostle Paul asks us to remember in the hurly-burly that the reality of our lives uh, that our lives have three components uh, we have a past he says uh, a past when we accepted the word of God and we also thank God he says continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word of men but as it actually is the word of God a past in which we received the word of God and the past by defini definition is past that has happened that uh, our past has been sealed by our reception and acceptance of the word of God we too have a future a future in which God calls us Paul says to his kingdom and glory so our past is sealed our future is promised and out of our hands in the hands of God so it's secure so Paul is saying I think that our present 
with all its turbulence, all its suffering, all its burdens, all its contention, is actually uh, in God's hands. And it's a time when the word of God, as he says in, in verse 13, is at work in us. The word of God, which is at work in you who, would be, who believe so two things are happening in the, the, the middle of our, our suffering our burdens, our confusions our doubts, our concerns the word of God is at work within us so they're the three components of our lives and so it's inevitable that as, the, as we being work in progress we're going to change the way we think and we're going to change the way we act. We're going to change the words we, the way we interact because God's word is at work within us. And unlike the Apostle Paul, our Damascus road is unlikely to be uh, shattered with a laser-like beam of light from heaven that immediately changes everything. We're going to be work in progress and uh, there are discoveries we're going to make on the way which will change and transform how we think how we feel and ultimately what we are and so there are three things that I wish someone had told me on the day I was baptised maybe they did uh, and I, I don't remember but we've to anticipate that our lives will change in Christ because God's word is at work within us uh, I wish someone had told me these three things and I've been looking for them I would have been looking for them on my, my Damascus road much earlier and the three things I wish someone had told me are first of all one the Faber effect secondly the sinking of the Nellie A. Duff in 1869 and thirdly, a TV commercial for the TSB in the 1980s. First of all, the Faber effect. Uh, the Faber effect says that if you espouse or brought up in a very strict religion, one which everything is defined, everything is black and white, everything is cut and dried, and where deviance is denounced and failings are castigated, sooner or later in your journey the light comes on and things will never be the same again. Uh, the Faber effect changes what you think and how you think and who you are in relation to a simple faith you once espoused. I realise some of you won't have come across the Faber effect in your readings or your study I'm not demeaning your scholarship I'm just saying I don't think you will come across it because it's something I only thought about a couple of weeks ago and I haven't told many people about it since then the Faber effect it is named after Fed Frederick William Faber who was a theologian and a clergyman of various allegiances uh, and also a hymn writer who lived from 1814 to 1863. His background was a Cal as, as a Calvinist. He then converted to Anglicanism and eventually migrated to Catholicism. Uh, I'm not suggesting at all that's a route we should take. Uh, but 
It's, I think, a story of him uh, rediscovering his uh, original roots. I think he always was a Calvinist, even to the end, but he left Calvinism uh, because it was Calvinists rather than Calvinism, I think, that he uh, struggled with. He struggled with the five points of Calvinism, and it was there in this very strict containing religion that the light came on for him and he felt liberated by this escape and became a ca ca uh, an Anglican and the story continues when he went to Oxford uh, he became friends with people involved in the Oxford movement and he migrated uh, into Catholicism uh, and I, I think in looking at his friends in the Catholic faith at that time, he was more concerned that they were living a life which was as constrained uh, and uh, as bound and limited as his had been in his past. And he goes to them as a missionary, bringing the grace of God, the liberating grace of God and he brought it in his hymns and in his theology we've only got one of his hymns in uh, our hymn book now and it's 102 which we will be finishing with this morning my God how wonderful thou art he looks at a very strict limiting faith that he once had uh, and he manages to transform it. You see, my God, how wonderful thou art, thy majesty, how bright. God's majesty, for no longer for him, is uh, brooding or, uh, or awesome. It's bright. How beautiful thy mercy see that, sh that, see that shines with healing light. Uh, God is no longer in light unapproachable. It's healing light. He's come to discover in God how wonderful, how beautiful the sight of thee must be he'd been always taught that no man can see God but now uh, he was looking forward to that uh, and he was overcome by a vision not of God's awesome might but his awful purity and his fear of God in that hymn says uh, is not a debilitating fear but liberating how I fear thee living God with deepest tenderest fear and worship thee with trembling hope and not terror and dread but penitential tears thou hast stooped to ask of me he says the love of my poor heart as a Calvinist he had one. I, I think they have brilliant, brilliant names for the doctrines in Calvinism one of them is uh, the doctrine of total depravity which I think is a brilliant title to have as a, as a doctrine and consequently one who adheres to the doctrine of total de depravity is a total depravatist I think that's, that's magnificent he's saying not uh, that uh, every man has plumbed the depth of depravity I think he's saying that uh, man totally in his spiritual life 
his uh, moral life, his social life, every aspect of his being has been touched by the fall and consequently is in no fit state to be able to make a choice uh, of accepting uh, God as a father. It, uh, and so that's what he's singing, that thou hast stooped to ask of me at a time when I couldn't make any movement at all, the love of my poor heart. And I wish I'd known <coughs> another of his hymns. <coughs> uh, it's one that never made it to our hymn book, and if it ever came up for consideration, I think the fact that it had got 15 verses would probably make it a no-no. Uh, there's a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in his justice, which is more than liberty. For the love of God is broader than the measure of our mind, and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. If our love were but more simple, we should take him at his word, and our lives would be all sunshine in the sweetness of our Lord, but we make his love too narrow by false limits of our own, and we magnify his strictness with a zeal he would not own. Was there ever kind a shepherd, half so gentle, half so sweet, as the Saviour who would have us come and gather at his feet? So I think the Faber effect tells us that as the light comes on on our Damascus road journey, we have to revi revisit our original convictions and view them again in the light that God has shed on our way. Not to reject them, but to discover them again in the new light God has shed as he prepares each of us for the new stage of our journey. Revisit your original convictions and view them again in the light that God has shed on your way to discover them again. Uh, the second thing I wish I'd been aware of was the sinking of the Nelly A. Duff. Now I don't know have I, if I've ever told you here the story of uh, the Duff family of uh, ship owners. Does anyone know the story of the Nelly A. Duff? Right, don't feel too bad about it. It's just an obscure bit of maritime history, really. Uh, the Nellie A. Duff was a wooden schooner built in uh, Port Clinton, Ohio, in, in 1855. And her regular run was around the Great Lakes with gravel uh, for railway construction. And this is a piece from the Buffalo Evening News, dated Tuesday, October the 15th. Uh, 1895 the schooner Nellie A. Duff hailing from Detroit and bound from Peely Island to Cleveland loaded with gravel sank two miles off Lorraine Harbour shortly after midnight last night and the captain and two members of the crew were drowned a heavy sea was running and the schooner sprang a leak and went down while trying to make port and so the story goes on. That was the end of the Nellie A. Duff. 
Uh, she had a short but colourful career. She had on previous occasions nearly floundered and on several occasions run aground. Uh, this was the result of not of misfortune but mismanagement. She would stagger into port li uh, listing at a frightful angle because her cargo had shifted. She would run aground on sandbanks that other ships sailed over because she was overloaded. She was generally bad news. And if you were ever offered uh, passage or cargo space by the owners, you would quite rightly reply, not on... Right, we're there. Yes. Uh, it's an expression which means under no circumstances would I consider that as an option, I think, isn't it? And it originated early in the 20th century after the sinking of the Nellie Dove. So I can forgive the translators of the authorised version in 1611 when translating the epistle to the Romans uh, that they didn't make use of the phrase because it was just the phrase they, they were, uh, that they really needed, just the expression that, that they needed. What I find difficult to excuse is the phrase that they opted for instead, and they did it ten times in, uh, in Romans. The phrase they opted for, without any linguistic justification, uh, and they did it ten times, was God forbid. Uh, it's uh, an expression Paul initiates although I think he'd be worried by the choice of the translators there, uh, to say that we've got to realise in our lives that there are some uh, preconceptions that we've just got to get rid of from our thinking. A bit of retranslation. Uh, for what, this is Romans 3, for what if some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. What he's saying is, does our faithlessness negate God's faithfulness? Not on your Nelly, the Apostle Paul would have opted for. Does our faithlessness negate God's faithfulness? Never. Salvation is based on God's faithfulness to you, not your faithfulness to yourself or to your visions God's salvation salvation is based on God's faithfulness to you does it again in Romans 6 what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound alternative translation in your dreams sunshine grace isn't just God's response to our sin Grace is what God is. Grace is the essence of who God is. Is it just our sinfulness that makes God graceful? Not at all. It's who God is. And again, Romans 7. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good, was then that which was good made death to me? God forbid. Will I be condemned, Paul is saying, by my failure to live up to the divine vision of virtue? 
alternative translation, no way, Jose. There are preconceptions and what appear to us at times to be rational conclusions we've just to get rid of. Salvation is based on God's faithfulness to you. Grace isn't just God's response to sin. Grace is the very essence of who God is. And will I be condemned to, by my failure to live up to the divine vision of virtue? No way, says Paul. So the second thing I wish they told me are to remove from my thinking the shadows cast by a very primitive grasp of belief. And the third thing was the, uh, I don't know, in the present economic situation, it's all too easy, isn't it, to make fun at the expense of financial institutions. It's too easy, and we shouldn't. But it does seem a pity to let the opportunity pass, doesn't it? Uh, do you remember from the 1980s uh, that the TSB ran a series of television advertisements. Do you remember the phrase TSB, the bank that likes to say yes? Right. Subsequent events, I think, have suggested that it might have been uh, wiser to say no a, a little more frequently. But the Apostle Paul was the apostle who liked to say no, and he says it on several occasions. You see, we feel... Uh, as the advertisement suggests, that it's important for people to say yes to us. Uh, it's important that our, what we conceive as our needs and our wants will be met, that people will say yes to what we consider to be our needs uh, and what we really feel are, are our wants. The Apostle Paul uh, says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death what Paul is saying that it's more important more important than people saying yes to what we consider to be our needs is someone saying no to what we consider and um, what we know to be our fears. The Apostle Paul likes to say no to the things we, fee we fear. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by sinful nature, God did. So we have to rejoice in the freedom of the uncondemned life which is yours in Jesus. So in our journey as the light comes on, we first of all revisit our original convictions and view them again in the light of that God has shed on our way so that it might be more powerful and more meaningful in our journey. We have to remove from our thinking the shadows cast by perhaps a primitive grasp of belief. 
There are things we have to remove from our minds completely, which are now no longer possibilities, not on your Nelly. And thirdly, we have to rejoice in the freedom of the uncondemned life, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And as we gather around bread and wine, there's an opportunity for uh, us to let that light come on again in our lives and to rebuild our life and our faith in view of the light that God sheds on our experiences through his word which is alive and at work in you who believe. We take time now to do as our Lord Jesus asked us to do to remember him in bread and wine and it's a time when we can remember the wonderful things that God has done for us in giving his son that we might have life and remembering too that he changes us now and promises us a wonderful future our prayer for the bread is going to be offered by Dave Father God, it's, it's in you we place our trust. We've had an opportunity this morning to just reflect upon your faithfulness, God, about how you have taken our dry bones and by your Spirit breathed new life into us. And our past is secure. We know that today we stand in grace and we stand in the love that you have for us, displayed through our Lord Jesus. And Father God, we just want to take an opportunity to thank you again for such great love that you would stoop down and that you would pick us up and hold us close to your heart. That you love us so much that you want to spend eternity in a relationship with us. And Father God, we know that our salvation was won because of the love of, and the grace of our Lord Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for deciding for deciding to go to a cross for us just to show us how much our Father loves how much our Father adores us and we stand here today in a knowledge and an understanding that our future is secure because of your love not because of us or anything that we can do but because you want to spend eternity with us and for that reason you have made our future secure we thank you now for this bread that we can share together as a family remembering that Lord Jesus you are going to return soon and Father we pray that that day will be very very soon it's in Jesus name we pray Amen <laughs>